Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Backtracking, the podcast where we look back at the real-world inspirations behind classic episodes of Star Trek. I'm one of your hosts, Caliban, and I'm going to be back at the drugstore tomorrow, and I'm joined on this episode by my co-host. I'm Gooey Fame, and why are you pushing me? And we've returned to explore the stories behind your favorite Trek shows, and today we are returning to war fiction, specifically the aftermath of wars on the men and women who fight them and the difficulties they may face when adjusting once again to civilian life. It's 1982's surprise hit First Blood and the third season TNG episode, The Hunted. We're back. <laughs> when did this become a war movie podcast? <laughs> well, I mean, it's. I, I think these guys... Coming up with these uh, Trek stories, they love it. They love the Yeah, they story. definitely love it. Yeah, the writers, for sure. And I guess it is military fiction, Star Trek, when you think about it. Um, what is it? The uh, Friendly Fire, the uh, the war movie podcast by the Star Trek guys is off the air now. So maybe there's a hole to fill. Maybe we can be oh, those soldiers. <laughs> yeah, let's, in that let's get that niche, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about beans and uh, starving <laughs> our kids. Uh, did you hear the news? Did you hear the news about, uh, Star Trek? Which, what news? (laughs) Here's a little Star Trek news for you. Uh, there's a new trailer for the second season Mm. of Picard, which has come out. And in it, we see in the flesh, uh, John Delancey as the returning Q. Yeah, I saw that. He was, he was looking nice. I have my questions about this because you see, um, you see that it's going to be a time travel thing. And, uh, gosh, Star Trek, can you ever not tell a time travel story? But uh, it's good to have Q back. It also looks like, you know, it'll be alternate timelines. Like, you know, the, we see that Seven and Nine doesn't have her implants and um, mm. characters are finding themselves in different places and, and wearing different clothes and stuff. Um, and then the ad came out. There was a print ad that was just literally like the highways of Los Angeles. Like it was a view of Los Angeles from the valley. And I'm thinking, are they going to do it in the 21st century? And if they are, why? Why? Okay. Okay. And, and also, is it like a budget thing or, or something? Is it like a COVID thing? Like we, it was just easier to sort of shoot in real locations than to try to to gin up some kind of sci-fi stuff. See, there, I, there's a lot of things that go through my head. One, I think, like out of all the things, like from the past that you could shoehorn into, like you know, Star Trek for nostalgia. Q mm. Q is actually pretty fitting, you know, because he can kind of do whatever. So that, yeah. that's fun. But then when I when I first heard, like, time travel, I thought, oh, God, they're going to go back and, you know, meet Outrageous Okona again and all that stuff. <laughs> like, they're going to go to episodes of TNG and it'll be embarrassing. But now that I now that you've got this other tease you're talking about, it makes me think of, like, I don't know, like in Voyager when they went and, like, hung out with Sarah Silverman or whatever. <laughs> I guess. I guess when you, th- yeah. Oh boy. We just went outside and started that's, Yeah, filming. that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, I suppose when you think about it, like the time from uh, when the TOS was shot and made to uh, the time they went back to in uh, City on the Edge of Forever uh, is about the same gap as like, you know, the, what's being made now to... Uh, early TNG or, or whatever, like the first appearance of Q. So I guess it makes sense. It's just like, I, you know, I don't know. Last year, the complaint was like flower ships. What's that? Uh, and uh, aliens from outside the galaxy and weird stuff. And my complaint this year is it's too normal. I don't want to see Picard in jeans, like walking around on an L.A. street. <laughs> I just can't be I can't be pleased. I feel like um, 
I don't know. I feel like any premise could work, but it's always just like the the execution. I feel like that's true. I don't have high hopes for anything really. But. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. Uh, I gotta say though, uh, Delancey looks great. Um, not that he ever looked bad, but he's sort of. Uh, I think he's sort of like aged into this kind of yeah. Uh, older you know daddish kind of look but he's like trim and fit he looks great yeah yeah because i think the only other like old delancey image i have in my mind is like in breaking bad where he looks all like messed up and disheveled a little rundown here he's like he's looking good he's looking yeah yeah, he looks really good uh also good looking are the cast pictures that we got from Star Trek Prodigy. Uh they released pictures of oh, I didn't see that. Uh oh yeah, they released pictures of all the characters who are going to be in the show along with their voice actors. Oh, okay, anybody of note? Well, I'll be honest, I don't really recognize any of these voice oh, actors, okay. but they are voice actors. Yeah, um, sure. I think the main character is a character named Gwyn and she'll be voiced by Ella Purnell, which is a name that is kind of familiar to me, but I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. Uh, I do know Jason Manzukis though. He'll be playing Jankum Pog. Oh, the TikTok the, man. The TikTok man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who's who'll be he'll be playing the uh the big guy. Um and okay. other than that, I don't know these other people. Uh I'll I'll read the characters though. Uh the kind of purple uh kid looking alien is named Doll, be played by Brett Gray. The kind of blobby guy is named Murph, and he'll be uh, voiced by D. Bradley Baker. The robot is named Zero. He'll be voiced by Angus Imri. And Rook Talk is the big red rocky looking thing looking thing. And that'll be voiced by Riley Alazakri. Okay. Yeah. Some of these some of these characters that look fun. <laughs> uh yeah, I I'm I'm kinda interested in this actually. I think I think it could be fun. I think it's got definite potential. They also released uh, a bunch of environmental images as well that kind of show you some of the alien worlds that we'll be seeing. And yeah, it's, um, I guess I didn't know what to expect from this animated show, you know, but it's, uh, it looks quality. It looks like, um, like a theatrical, uh, animation, uh, feature. Yeah. And I, I, there's something about, uh, I think, um, it being a kid's show, I think, I don't know. I think, uh, there could be some some good stuff that comes out of like, I don't know. I, I guess I, I assume that there might be some more simplicity in the storytelling that might be kind of, kind of fun for a Star Trek thing. Oh, certainly. Yeah. But I mean, you know, anytime you do something at Star Trek, it's, it's going to kind of be for everybody. Like your audience is very broad. Yeah. Cause I know I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> I, yeah. I just mean like, um, so like it, it's always cool when we watch like the animated series. Cause it's like, uh, it, it is kind of these like very, simple or like quick episodes but then they put all these kind of like cool ideas in there yeah yeah kind of curious to see how they'll do that uh now a couple cool ideas you can repeat over and over again for 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) star trek the animated series uh people will be watching this eventually on paramount plus which has uh, announced recently that they are launching a cheaper five dollar plan their current cheapest plan is 5.99 uh, but oh. this will replace that plan. It's called the Essentials Plan, and it will have it'll be ad supported, and it will not include um, CBSN uh, local, you know, your local CBS affiliate, uh, and you can't download any of the content. Okay, well, I guess I gotta sign back up to watch some of this new stuff. When you do, you get BET, MTV, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, 
all the everything that falls under the um, <laughs> who's paying Warner you? Warner Brothers Discovery <laughs> banner. Yeah, yeah. This is a nice okay. commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's where uh, Prodigy will be. That's where, of course, Picard, Discovery, and the upcoming Strange New Worlds will be as well. Oh, I feel yeah. like they've gone kind of quiet on Strange New Worlds news. Um, that's, that's probably a good sign. Probably means they're working. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, I feel like before the story was like, oh, all these shows have been announced. What's going on? But now it's like, oh, there's some shows and news trickling out. Yeah, uh, and that is the news for this week. Let's get to our featured subject for today's episode. You know, Sylvester Stallone became famous for playing underdogs, men of courage and skill who faced overwhelming odds, be they in the boxing ring or on the battlefield or in the bathroom. How do those three seashells work anyway? In 1982, he co-wrote and starred in a film about a man who had lost everything, his home, his brothers-in-arms, and his place in society. But goddamn if they were going to take away his dignity. He didn't start the war. They pushed him when they drew first blood. John Rambo, a drifter, just passing through their town. Morning! Headed north or south? North. Now jump in. I'll make sure you're heading the right direction. Huh? You got some place I can eat around here? There's a diner about 30 miles up the highway. Is there any law against me getting something here? Yeah, me. I want you to book this gentleman for vagrancy, resisting arrest, carrying a concealed weapon. They knew he was innocent. I'm starting to dislike you a lot. And they didn't give a damn. <laughs> That's okay, Warren. Don't worry about the soap. He's tough. Just save him. Drag. Don't move. I don't want you to catch your own throws. John Rambo. One man who's been pushed too far. You're finished! You've gone as far as you're gonna go! And straight for the top. Right on top of him. There's no way out of here except through us. He was hunted. Trapped. There he is! On the cliff! to fight back. Don't push it. Don't push it, I'll give you a war you won't believe. Teasel, you and all your men couldn't handle him before. Now, what makes you think you can handle him now? Because God knows what damage he's prepared to do. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that money, don't forget one thing. A good supply of body bags. Sylvester Stallone. This time, he's fighting for his life. First blood. I hear the music in my head now. Actually. Oh, the music hey. like uh, it's a long road for Rambo. <laughs> was, that a, was that a Frank Stallone joint? I wish. No, Jerry Goldsmith of oh, wow. Star Trek composing fame wrote that. Yeah, yeah. And the rest of the music for the film. Yeah. And for some reason, I don't know the exact reason, but yeah, some reason they just decided we need to drop this in here to really like 
emphasize and the, the emotions and the tragedy of this situation but it after a guy just goes ham on an entire town it's a little it's a little <laughs> weird jarring note uh, of course they, you never see that song again really i don't think i don't think it's in the second one but they take the instrumental version of that and work that becomes you know rambo's theme as the series goes on yeah there's there's a lot of great um, it's like finding out music. the star trek uh theme has words <laughs> oh i forgot yeah it does <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, it's some got some great music in general. I think this came out at the perfect time because, you know, Vietnam was over, long over, um, and I, I I think that we as a as a nation had were ready to to talk about it, you know, ready to get into it. Mm. And of course, the character of Rambo is based around the idea that you know he was rejected by society. Um, to be totally honest and fair, um, the, the the phenomenon of people, you know, spitting on protesters, spitting on uh, troops when they came back home is not necessarily true. Right. Nobody's yeah. ever really proved that. And it's because of, I think, fiction like Rambo that that really <laughs> that that really uh, has been perpetuated for years and years. I'm not saying that it, it wasn't tough for veterans coming back home. It always is. But that specific phenomenon um has never really been confirmed and yeah. it keeps getting trotted out i was reading a lot of um kind of articles about this it keeps getting trotted out interestingly when we are in conflicts so like george hw bush sort of brought that up and that idea when he was sending troops to kuwait you know and sending our troops over there and the idea that like um that, you know, the, the hippies don't support, you support the troops, right? You know, you wouldn't do this horrible yeah. thing that they did. That's You're the same as that if you uh, oppose the war. Yeah, right. It's like, um, whether yeah, whether or not, like, whatever they're saying through this uh, movie is, you know, true or not, or, like, what they believe, like, it gets, like you said, it's trotted out as, like, it becomes propaganda, you know, or, like, con- mm-hmm. kind of conservative propaganda for sure. Yeah, there's a book um, by a v- Vietnam veteran and sociology uh, professor called um, The Spinning Image, uh, The Myth, Memory, and the Legacy of Vietnam, a guy named Jerry Lemke. And he basically like took, you know, 60, 65 of these incidents and like investigated them and then talks about like the psychology. And you'll find people, you'll find plenty of Vietnam, Vietnam vets who are like, yeah, that never happened. But you'll find a lot of ones who go, yeah, it happened to me. And so... You know, are they misremembering or did they just not report it? Like there's no police reports or yeah. anything like that. So I think it's, it's also a, I think it's an important point to make. Uh like I said, we're gonna talk about how right. <laughs> a war kills not only uh, the enemy but our soldiers. But it's um I just wanted to make sure that we covered that first. Right. Well yeah, it's also useful too because it can Yeah, it's very useful. Discredit they can use it to discredit like veterans who protested, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you can boil down the protests to like a bunch of people who are disrespecting the troops and spitting on them, then yeah, that's you know that's all you got to say. But obviously, a lot of veterans were opposed to the war as well. So yeah, I, I, I talking about presidents again uh, or the presidential sort of sphere. You know, John Kerry got a lot of shit in two thousand and eight when he uh, you know he had protested after returning himself from the Vietnam War. Um, and there is this back and forth about whether he what he did, whether he threw away his medals or, or whatever. And he had to answer all these bullshit questions about about uh, his time arguing against war, 
<laughs> right? <laughs> like know. saying, I had a shitty time over there and I don't want anybody else to have a shitty time, but let's stop fighting. Um, but yes, but somehow he's a coward and a traitor. Right. Yeah. And I do think, I do think in this movie, yeah, it definitely, it sort of leans like, well, I mean, especially if you continue to watch Rambo, like they're definitely like very kind of conservative yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, uh, but <laughs> I will say at least, especially with this one, like, I feel like there's at least uh like an honesty in this movie where I feel like, like conservative quote unquote movies now, like they are just, they're just bad and they're like dishonest and it's, it, it's full blown propaganda. Whereas I feel like this actually like came from someone's heart, you know, like it came from Sylvester Stallone and, and the other people's like real emotions where I just feel like the other ones, like if a conservative movie now, like I feel like would not even dare to show, like portray the police like they do in this film, you know? Oh yeah. They're total yokels. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that's only like half. It's only like partially what the movie's about. Cause the other half of it is like about how the military made not just his experience, but the military itself, like turned him into the killing machine that he is. Right. Yeah. And the idea of him being like, I, he's ostensibly the protagonist, but he's also, you know, the villain. Like he's the one who they're trying <laughs> right. to stop. He's doing all this stuff. I love that scene in the, in the woods where it's like Rambo's the monster. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, it's like a <laughs> yeah. horror movie where they're all just one by one being picked off. And all that thought and sentiment that you just mentioned, like, I think it does come mostly from Stallone himself and the other writer on the film, because this is based on a, a book from 1968 called First Blood. And the book is a lot different. Like Rambo is uh, just a, a killing machine, basically. He kills like 16 people. He is somewhat sympathetic. In fact, Teasel, the sheriff, actually like admires him and everybody feels bad for this monster that he's been turned into. But it's much more bloody and a lot different and mm. not as um, you could never end it with that beautiful uh, Jerry Goldsmith song at the end of the film. It would not <laughs> not fit at all. Right. Um, in this, they try to. Well, I mean, I think it's it works really well in the movie that it's like you kind of feel bad for him. And, yeah. and they, they actively show, like, he doesn't want to kill anyone. But then, you know, also by the end, he's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, he could have accidentally killed plenty of people when he's oh, yeah. firing he, in off. Oh, yeah, in an entire town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but he lets the kid go and he's, uh, you know, and he doesn't, yeah, he, he spares. Uh, he doesn't actually directly kill anybody, I don't think. Just yeah. that one guy who's just like a turbo movie level prick really deserves gets it. himself killed. No one yeah. felt bad about that. Guy's yeah. <laughs> the original author, David Morrell had based the character somewhat on Audie Murphy, who of course was the famous soldier in world war two, who won a bunch of medals, came home and had a film career, but suffered um, from horrible PTSD um, oh, okay. you know, for the, for the rest of his life. And he also uh, kind of based it on, <laughs> A book from, uh, let's see, from the 30s called Rogue Male. It was written in 1938 <laughs> or 39. And it's about this guy. It's about like this British guy who's like a, a sport hunter and like good with guns. And he just goes, I'm going to kill this one like dictator that's causing problems for everybody. He decides he's going to become like a one man army. And so he tries to go to, to go and kill this guy. And he's not exactly successful, but he ends up in a situation like Rambo where he's like trapped and there's a lot of people coming after him. And after it came out, they're like, is that guy Hitler? Is the dictator Hitler? And the guy's like, I'll never tell. But this, of course, <laughs> is before, you know, they invaded Poland or whatever. Oh so, God. But yeah. 
So it, it comes from a place of like, oh, the oh, he's a killing machine. Oh, I'm going to kill Hitler. And it lacks all the sensitivity. And I really do have to give it to, to Stallone. I think that he is the guy who put that sensitivity in there. Yes. I'll, yeah. He, yeah. He... He's incredible in this movie for sure, and it it's like definitely through his vision, but also his his performance. I think is really, um, yeah, you really just feel for him. the The stunts in this movie are crazy. Oh my like, god! I, yeah, I don't, and it's nineteen eighty two. So this is these are all real people, but like, I don't know how much of them he did. I I know that he was um very badly hurt. They had to stop filming oh. for a while. <laughs> Because uh, he almost broke his back and he broke a couple ribs doing something. Was it falling off of a mountain when he's climbing on the side of a mountain? I don't know. Maybe. But there's there's scenes where when they're initially chasing him, you know, up the mountain and he gets off on the cliff. You know, later on when he's hanging from the cliff, that you just do that. You find a way to do that lower to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. But like that's Stallone up there, like looking over the edge of a cliff and climbing over the side of it. And then later on when they bring that helicopter in. The helicopter work is incredible because he's hanging in the middle of this kind of narrowing box canyon and they bring the helicopter like right in. And then when the, guy starts, when the guy starts shooting at him, Rambo's behind a tree and Rambo's like hiding on the right side of the tree and the copter's in the left side of the frame and it shoots and then he moves to the other side. Then the camera, Rambo and the helicopter all switch perspectives and the copter flies back to the other side mm. and then they go back to the left again. And the kind of control that you need to do a shot like that, and not only with the camera, but, you know, the, the helicopter pilot and everything, it was just, that, that was amazing. That would all be a computer now. You would never I, do that for yeah, real. Yeah, okay. So I was going to say, I was watching this, and, like, there's the car chases and all that stuff, and I'm just going, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And stuff's, stuff's crashing, and I'm just like, they don't they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> yeah. It's just like really reacting he's, like that. He's gunning it on that dirt bike, you know, on that wet oh, road. Oh, incredible. Yeah. And Denny, he's coming behind him and every little bump or like a uh, little rise that the cop car goes over, it comes back down like on its nose and just goes I know. <laughs> and it seems to me it seems so simple like that it's just like seeing a cop car bouncing around on some bad roads is like thrilling to me. And like yeah. you said it's like, oh, yeah, this would be a computer now, and it'd be so boring. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was talking to a friend recently about, like, a, a totally different movie or whatever, but he, he had said, like, I just don't really like car chases. Like, I think they're boring. And I'm like, I, I just think you haven't seen one, like, that wasn't filmed in the last decade, you know? Yeah. But that's that's neither here. That's slightly off topic. But, yeah, I was just watching this, and the craft of this movie, it's really – I've seen it before, but it's 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 always like a surprising movie. Yeah, it's directed really really well, and it's directed by a guy named Ted Kotcheff, who is not a name that gets thrown around a lot. Uh, but he did direct Weekend at Bernie's, nice. <laughs> and he directed. Let's just say he directed North Dallas Forty as well. Uh, so he's directed like a couple films in the seventies and this, but not much else that you'd really know. But yeah, it's just like a really solid. Uh, really solid film. Yeah, yeah. Every like a lot of great, a lot of great shots, a lot of great, uh, you know, stunts and everything. And it's yeah. really clean too. They don't waste a lot of time. You but know, no, we get right, I we get right into simplicity, it. We, yeah, yeah. We get we see Rambo. You know, visiting with um the uh, the relative of uh, his friend has died, and then he's walking back home. And Brian Dennehy picks him up. And the thing about Brian Dennehy, great actor, but also like 
brilliant casting because you get that character immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, you know who this guy is. And so when he sees Rambo and he's like, how you doing? You, you know that he does not care how he's doing. You know that this isn't going to end well. And uh, he tries to give him a, a drive or he gives him a drive through the town. And it's great setup because as he drives him through the town, we see the town. So we set up the town. We set up the police station. You know, the guys inside yeah. the gun cabinet and everything like we 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 see all this stuff that's going to be on fire and destroyed later. And it's, I think it's good uh, filmmaking. Yeah. I think some of the best, a lot, some of the movies we've done is like some of the best ones are like just a movie about a thing happening, like one thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just all, it's just kind of a collection of like characters with like the different conflicts. You know, that's what this is. You kind of have like three or four kind of like characters who are all at odds in different ways. And they, and it's yeah, it's so simple, but then like these really these actors bring out these things in these you know with these like very very little really going yeah. on yeah not very this plot is, heavy yeah right I mean yeah it's a simple plot uh, it's just more about you know wh- who is this guy and why is this happening and what does it mean um, this is probably the smallest I've seen Stallone in a while <laughs> mm. <laughs> because after this of course he gets totally. Um, roided out and he's you know like huge uh late 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 rocky stone stallone <laughs> right yeah uh or like uh demolition man stallone but I he's think, like he's big but he's he's lean in this i think the only other like small stallone that comes to my mind is uh in, you know paradise alley paradise alley i think that's what it's called yeah i think it's he did it before um before rocky and it's kind of a similar movie to rocky but it's like oh, him, him and two brothers He's, I think the poster, he's got like a, like a leather jacket and a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like in this, it's like his brother. I think it's his older brother. Who's like bigger is like, it's like a wrestling version of Rocky. And he's like basically his brother's manager. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, it's interesting because he's like small compared to this big dude. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Uh, So I always found that was kind of interesting. (laughs) <laughs> to see like him kind of as like the little guy. Yeah, it's it's not often that he's uh not, you know, the big guy in a movie, but that's interesting. I wonder how tall he is. He's probably not that tall. No, he doesn't seem tall. Yeah. He was still pretty he was in pretty good shape though. I mean, oh, he for took sure. his shirt off. I was like, "Damn." Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, uh just you know, living rough uh, on the Pacific on a Pacific highway does that for you, I guess. <laughs> right. He doesn't. Uh, he still got his gold gym card. He's lost everything else. <laughs> um, the the cops in this, you know, we mentioned before, they're all buffoons for the most part, or um, super cruel, or both. Yeah, yeah. Um, David Caruso is probably the nice one, but he's but he's also a buffoon, and um, and they give him a pretty hard time. But there's a lot of there's there's we see like the the sort of presumptive air that they have, and it is true. Somebody makes this point later on. I think maybe it's Troutman who says, "Like, just let him go. Who cares? You know. I mean, mm-hmm. at, at this point, I think um, Art's fallen out of the helicopter, so they're they're a little more invested. But he's like, just let him go. You'll pick him up. You know, working at a gas station in a couple weeks. And it's like, yeah, why don't cops do that? <laughs> like, yeah, it, just is yeah. it movies that makes cops think that they can do whatever they want? Like, yeah. do we have movies to blame for that? Because it is kind of cool when Dennehy's like, oh, he's not getting away. And he's driving the, the, the Caprice Classic, you know, over the roads trying to catch Rambo. Right. Like, that's what I meant by, like, there's honesty in this movie. Like, I feel like this is an honest 
actually portray it. Like I saw a lot of a response to it that was like, the the way the situation is set up is ridiculous. Like this wouldn't happen. I'm like, what? You don't think like cops ever get obsessed with like like power or control over other people? You know, especially sure. like people who are viewed as like vagrants and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Oh no, this is very <laughs> realistic. Um, but yeah, I, I always love that. Like, reminds me a little bit of like in uh like in Die Hard or whatever too, where like you have these various levels of bureaucracy and like authority <laughs> yeah coming in and they're always like like when the fbi or whatever whoever shows up in this and he's like no this is my case i'm like no why do you care like you yeah. i don't even think you liked that guy who died right yeah he was a prick no one did <laughs> nobody liked that <laughs> they guy. even acknowledged like they made com- your jobs harder yeah and yeah, when but they he acknowledged just... it he was like okay well we still gotta get him i'm like well th- doesn't that change your view on this at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you just have to do it. Something else that I liked is I liked that the scale was believable because there's a lot of movies where there's like one um, shithead man that like runs this town. But it's not like um, like Roadhouse where Ben Gazzara can have people killed and there's like nothing anybody can do about it. You know, it's he's he's just a sheriff. And for the most part, he sees this as his town. He wants to protect it, um, but he doesn't have like insane power where he can do whatever he wants. No, yeah, it's kind of like, like there was the one guy who's awful, but then it kind of felt like more, it was like, he was kind of caught up in the whole, the whole group was kind of either, like you said, buffoons or like evil, and he was kind of at all of their mercy in a way. Yeah, and then they let the, um, they have just like regular civilians (laughs) help look for Rambo, so they're out in the woods like, there he is, woo! I was like, what are those people doing? I thought they were hunting and they just ran into Rambo. (laughs) And I was like, did, do they not know about like the, like national news story that's occurring? (laughs) Right. It's, it's legal if it's in the woods, kill him. (laughs) Um, yeah, I like when they're, uh, but the cops are well armed too. I, maybe this is something for, uh, like forest, foresting cops or something, but they've all got like automatic weapons and, uh, (laughs) They're talking about going up. It's like, just like deer hunting. Yeah, I got a couple of bucks last year. This is going to be fun. Right. I liked how they had the couple, like, kind of the younger cops being like, when they find out he's like a Green Beret or whatever, and he's like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, right. Like, we're going to yeah. do anything. Oh, great. That was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, the one voice of reason, and <laughs> nobody listening. And then David Crusoe kind of disappears uh, at yeah. the end of the movie. He's not really around. I love that. And, and like, they also had, like, they kind of, like, were pretty rude to the National Guard, which was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if this is um I, I haven't heard anybody make fun of the National Guard in a while, but I think this was kind of the uh the, the general tone uh, at this time in war movies, you know, the weekend warrior guys that come out. But they hit it they hit it pretty hard. And I like the fact too that apparently like a couple of them are local because the one guy's like, you know, I gotta get hey, back hey, to the right. drugstore. It's like, hey, hey, you blew Rambo up, now you gotta dig his body out of there. Yeah, I I I am like kind of thinking like, are they doing that in comparison to like actual soldiers in their mind? Or I I was fine with it either way. I'm kind of fun with the fine with the lampooning of the police and the national guard. Um, yeah, well, the worse they look, the better Rambo looks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But he it, already looks it great. made Green Berets seem really cool. Yeah. It's not like when he um, in the in the subsequent films, you know, he goes back to Vietnam or whatever, and most of those guys are are pretty good. Yeah, and then of course he 
he fights the Russian army in, in Rambo 3. Yeah, but he gets, like, exploding arrows and stuff, so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, this is the, I wonder if there is, we could find any examples of other film film uh, series where, like, the first one has had a real statement, and then the rest are just, like, schlock, action schlock. Uh, I think it's, like, more... Don't say The Fast and the Furious. Don't, don't do it. No, no, I was going to say it's, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of, it makes me think of, like, they're like horror movies. There's some that are like that. Like Halloween, I feel like is hmm. kind of like that, where the first one is like a classic, all-time classic, and then it's immediately like a super big drop <laughs> from there. I would agree, even though the whole point of Halloween is there is no point. Like he's just a screwed up kid. Y- you know? Yeah. But like that was, that is Carpenter's artistic point. Like, here's my point. No point. So that's fine. But yeah, but then later on, like, you know, he's. Like, I, what if his uh, niece was psychologically. LL Cool J is using Kung Fu on him. And, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little different. Uh, th- Rambo has it medals like Audie Murphy. He's got the Congressional Medal of Honor. That's another thing that sends some of those younger cops off like, oh, great. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a Medal of Honor. Uh, and then we see, um, we see Colonel Troutman, who mm. is. Um, Sort of Rocky's uh, Rocky Rambo's <laughs> Rambo's uh, Rambo's former commanding officer. He's you know he says that I made him like I'm the guy that put him together, and you get the idea that he's supposed to be the the you know the the kindly mentor sort of presence, but but he's not really. You know he's here to to clean this up. Somebody sent him here to take care of this. Do you know what I mean? Right. I think it, in the later films they really build on the bond between them, and that's all well and good. But if those films didn't exist, like he's just the guy who's here to clean things up. You'd imagine that Troutman himself was a Rambo at one point. Like he's was a mm-hmm. killing machine. He's just been a, a killing machine that's been promoted to a desk job in Washington. They actually like establish in here like oh if you actually got to him would you kill him or not basically yeah um and actually i think the last time i watched this um there was like a little like bonus feature afterwards and i think in it they said uh the original ending was he was he kills him there yeah and uh i think stallone was like you don't kill your hero yeah, I Stallone definitely probably wasn't thinking about you know the the franchise and the future of the franchise at that point. But yeah, he did sort of change it worked that out. idea. <laughs> yeah, in the book, Troutman does does kill him, um, and I think they were hoping to keep that or at least have like a you know Rambo commits suicide type thing. But mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, I think it's more poignant because the thing is that the problem doesn't go away. It, it's still here, you know. Our, right. Our veterans that come back and try to reintegrate into society um, will continue to have problems. Um, we will continue to have wars and make new veterans. And so it isn't something that goes away. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think he it was a great like kind of because you had kind of like the two prongs of the conflict there. And then he kind of added like made it like a nice kind of triangle <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah. Then Rambo Last Blood. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Oh, was it? I didn't. I didn't. Well, you know, it, it was entertaining. No did, Troutman, though. Did, well, did they, here? Did they have this? There's a thing in Rambo movies that I binged them uh, all except Last Blood uh, recently, and I noticed something watching them all in order. There's always Rambo 
presents this paradox. Rambo is always making people say that, uh, you know, you don't do this. Rambo does this. Do you know what I mean? So it's like what you call hell, Rambo calls home. You, know, okay. you, you, don't, you don't see Rambo. Rambo sees you. I'm not, okay. I'm not here to rescue Rambo. I'm here to rescue you from Rambo. Right, yeah. It's like a it's like a military um, Yakov Smirnov bit, you know what I mean? Like in, in Soviet Russia, Rambo, kill you. Yeah, he's like, it's like Chuck Norris meets John Wick. <laughs> yes, yes. It's exactly like Chuck Norris. He's yeah. the one you send to kill the boogeyman or whatever. Yeah, right, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of like that. I, I actually, I think they're all like interesting and entertaining in their own ways. They all kind of like reveal something about the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they certainly do. Yeah. Um, I, I think that two is really more two is just uh, more um, Vietnam, um, not propaganda, but mythology, basically, you know, it's like, can we go more... back and actually win this time? <laughs> yeah. You... Can we send one man to win this thing for us? And you still answer, have yes. like bureaucracy, like preventing them from winning. Yeah. Like, I think of when he's like shooting up the computers in the end, he's like mad at the government because they won't let him win again. Right. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the third one, of course, is famously dedicated to um, the men and women of the Mujahideen. <laughs> yeah. So Rambo goes and plays um, goat polo with Osama, Osama bin Laden, and which, uh, which wins makes, World War Three before it was before it was fought. Which makes the fourth one work really well because it is like the post nine eleven one, and it works really well because it's like in the last one, Ooh, Rambo you... is chastised and he's living. Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and it's like that one's almost a horror movie, and it's like senseless violence in a way, and it kind of makes sense. <laughs> it actually works really well for that era. Like, what is this? This is all just senseless violence. I can't you know? believe I, I helped Osama bin Laden. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's personally <laughs> responsible. Uh, and then Last Blood is, uh, it's like Home Alone. <laughs> like he does a home alone at his ranch uh but why really whatever seri- whatever series get lost they do a home alone it i don't rocks, get that. james bond did a home alone yeah everybody has a home alone there is something so outrageous that happens in the very end that i don't want to spoil it but okay i guess i'll probably watch it someday it's again it's like a very it's it's it plays into like a lot of like right wing kind of like fears and talking points um, yeah. But again, I think it it has a soul and it has like a point of view to it and like an honesty to it that I again I don't think like modern right wing propaganda films do. So, well, th- there is a thing too where the left, you know, when you see uh, demons under every bush, then you know sometimes it's not it's a squirrel, not a demon. You right. know what I mean? And so. I don't know. I, I, I like this narrative because I don't really like John Krasinski very much. And I think that he is like a secret prick. But uh, a lot of like people on the left were saying that his movie, you know, A Quiet Place is like this veiled metaphor for uh, cancel culture. You know, if you oh. white people can't say anything, you can't even talk because brown skinned oh, monsters will come out of the forest and tear you apart, you know, if if you do. So... I don't know if that's it seems pretty far fetched to me, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna choose to believe that one. <laughs> I'll I'll go with it because I don't I don't really like him either. So yeah, sure. So as far as like Last Blood being like, oh, it's a you know it's a metaphor for immigration or whatever. It's like okay, well, is it is it or isn't it? <laughs> hey, I had that Lil Nas X song in the trailer, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Rambo doesn't ride a horse. The horse rides Rambo. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, he does set some traps uh, in this. I love that scene in the forest where he just does forest Batman, basically. And he That's like, so sick, yeah. He makes the one guy, he makes the, he shoot his own guy, and then he sets up the punji trap. and. Oh, yeah, that was nasty. Yeah, he's like stabs the guy. I in guess the that legs. guy's gonna be okay. <laughs> I guess they're all yeah. okay somehow. Then he's like, I didn't kill any of them. <laughs> like, all like, right, not yet. I don't know. <laughs> I'll give you a word you won't believe. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's defending himself. I'm okay with it. Um, I like the scene where. Uh, well, I, I like all the um, the cave stuff. That's an amazing cave set. I know it's, and I think it's lit perfectly because I'm sure it looks like crap, like in light. But when Kate, Rambo's going through with the torch and oh, the caves and, and everything, the, yeah. And then, like, why are movie rats always ravenous? Like, they <laughs> movie rats will always just attack a human, eat their flesh, no problem. But he gets set on by about they're, fifty they're rats. They're down there and they're hungry. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. They're like, oh, thank God a big Italian guy came down here. That makes me rethink, you know, I kind of feel bad in, like, the early stages of a video game when I'm just, like, killing level two rats. <laughs> yeah, rats I'm Like, actually, spiders. maybe this is good. Maybe this is self-defense. Yeah, no, no, they would eat your flesh without even thinking twice about it. It's kind of a good turn, too, because, like, like, we were talking about the movie. It's not, like, it's one event, and it's not very complicated, but I like how it kind of changes the the pace, and it leads into the you know, the main event really well, you know? Yeah. And he's down there and that's like the, that's a tense scene. Like my heart was going during that scene. Cause he's like, ah, these rats. And he's got to climb up the thing. Meanwhile, Troutman and uh, Teasel are meeting in a bar and they think it, it's over. Troutman knows that Rambo's probably alive still, but, and I like that little scene. It's normally, if you were out of time, you would cut that scene, but it's a nice little scene where we get to like, see the philosophies of these two men a little mm-hmm. more. Because now yep. Teasel isn't so amped up because he thinks it's over. And he's like, what the, what's the deal with you people and like Rambo? And like, how could you, you know, uh, you know, how, why would God make somebody like that? Uh, God didn't make Rambo. I made him. <laughs> that that would be the cut scene. But I feel like um, this movie doesn't need any cut scenes. It's like, no, apparently the the work print was like three and a half hours long. And I would Holy love cow. to see that other footage but apparently it did it just doesn't work and you know we've talked about how zippy this movie is it works because it's zippy it didn't work at all and so they cut the shit out of it you know they cut it down to about 95 minutes and that's what they went with but yeah i would still like to see that i'd love to see the slow burn rambo yeah yeah right maybe you set up that there's a uh an ammo store in town because we do set up the entire town and as we're looking at the town i loved it because a lot of classic brands you're seeing a lot of classic brands mm-hmm. that your chevrons your senecas i would have hidden out in the dairy queen yeah the, the dairy queen brazier yeah uh cools and rally lights cigarettes and of course radio shack but we pan over and it's like ta-da a huge bait and ammo and uh ammunition oh, store yeah that sells uh Black powder, I guess, and gunpowder. So I love that he was just like doing a. I don't know if that I would call that terrorism, <laughs> but he just blew that building up. Well, it's it, yeah. So I was thinking about it because we don't. He doesn't talk or, or like you know he doesn't have a monologue or anything like that. And we're assuming that it's not the just the crazed killer of of the book. But like, why does he do that? Is he just trying to – I think he's trying to deny it, – it's tactics. He's trying to deny mm-hmm. um, the, the movement of, like, the enemy and stuff. So, like, he – when he blows up the um, – he just flattens the gas pumps and then it sets it on fire immediately. And so that, like, blocks the road. So, like, the reinforcements and the other cops can't show up because it's just him and, and Brian Denny at the end. And then um, 
I almost like think that he he needs a soundtrack for this, you know. So he goes to the ammo store and he creates a huge fire and he throws all the the shells and cartridges in, and so they just start going off randomly. So it's like he's created his own little little war. Yeah, some distractions and stuff too. It it, yeah. it makes sense, obviously, that he'd do it as a um, kind of like a tactics thing, but it also feels I don't know if it's like what Rambo would do, but it it does kind of have like kind of a poignance or something too that he's like destroying all of this you know weaponry and stuff i don't know if and, like john rambo thought about that but well maybe I, I when he finally crawls out of the uh out of the uh cave after they've shot a rocket launcher at him uh we know <laughs> why that he's... They have, why'd they have that i, I don't know <laughs> just they got all the stuff they need uh you know he's we already established that he's having these flashbacks and he's already feeling like kind of hunted and haunted and he crawls out of the thing and there's like a bunch of army trucks <laughs> coming down the road, you know, and they're setting up camps and he's like literally behind enemy lines. Like it's playing into his fantasy slash nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. He really I is at war that. now. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Why'd they let him go to the gun store? Just put guards <laughs> around the gun store. Did you think um, like Trout- Troutman, I, I didn't, think this like the last time i watched this movie like it but like this time totally this time i felt like and and i don't mean this in a bad way necessarily but he was like a little hammy if that makes sense like oh yeah he is yeah which i didn't remember that but it feels like this compared to the other rambos it it feels a little bit more down to earth you know and then he feels like he's plucked a little bit from like rambo 2 or something you know yeah, he's doing Richard Crenna's, the, like you he's, said. You're, he's playing it up a little bit. Yeah, he's doing the, like you said, the Chuck Norris jokes or whatever. And yeah. <laughs> I made him, and I'm like, wow, he's like kind of, he's kind of going for it in like a fun, almost cartoony way. But He's it, a little, a little arch, yeah. It, it but adds then, a little f- extra flavor, I think. It does, it does. If this was made a couple, and they tried to get this made for years, because the book was written in the late 60s, uh, it was optioned almost immediately, and then... Um, many directors and screenwriters kind of bounced off of this project over the course of the 70s. If it had been made in the 70s, I think it would have been a little more um, flatter in tone. You know, you mm. wouldn't have like the the goony sort of cops. You know, you wouldn't have had Troutman being kind of a, like almost an archvillain kind of character and all the... You know, <laughs> I like when he jumps into the truck and he's like, eh, keep your eyes on the road. The two accidents happened. <laughs> right. um, yeah. You wouldn't have even the humor that you do have. I think it would have been a lot more bleak. But now leading into, um, you know, the 80s, uh, yeah, I think it's just uh, you have to ask me a little more fun. This has this like toes the line, I think, like perfectly because it does feel like it does in a lot of ways feel like a 70s kind of movie. But then it does have those like little fun bits. Yeah, little touches. Yeah, it's a good. It's like a good era, I think, the early '80s. Yeah, you wouldn't normally, and I, I think the end is great. I mean, you wouldn't normally have a movie where clearly we are, we're watching a town be destroyed, but we're also sort of reveling in the destruction as as Rambo might be. Uh, but we, you wouldn't normally downshift immediately into. Uh, a long monologue, the most Rambo ever talks in the movie about how you don't just turn it off and, you know, his, mm-hmm. see, I could, I could drive a tank over there. I can't park cars here. And the story about like the, the shine kid and, you know, his friends all over him. And it's just like, Oh, that was off. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. It's a weird swerve, but it immediately, it sort of grabs you. 
Yeah, especially because you feel like, okay, it's all leading to this, him versus Dennehy. Here right, right. Yeah, but you they, know how that's gonna go. So it's like, oh no, Denny's he's gonna roast him like a pig. No, that yeah, that's that's gonna go down. But yeah, but it it switches into this, and then you just see like he's just so alone. Like he has absolutely nothing. It's almost like you know, shooting at people is <laughs> just like you know the way that he connects to people at this point. Like nobody will talk to him. He can't even get a bite to eat in this town. Like he's just got absolutely nothing. Yeah, that makes for a good. I like a good uh, action movie like that where it's like almost the action and the conflict is stuff like as it's happening, it's almost like you don't want it to happen, but then it's also like awe inspiring and and cool. (laughs) So you're like, hell yeah. (laughs) But then like, yeah, the, the whole like where it's all leading is like, it's not going to be good. And so, yeah, Yeah. it just kind of drops out from under you. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We wouldn't, it's that that's kind of like the best scenario, like, you know, him just sort of giving up and then going going to jail. And because the other the other option is he kills Brian Dennehy, he kills the National Guard, uh, eventually is killed himself, <laughs> but uh, takes a lot of people with him. I mean, unfortunately, that's all too real in our real world today. Yeah, it's it's so different than how like the rest of them end, you know. <laughs> yeah, Where... it certainly is. But we've got this one. Yes, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about First Blood before we move on? The first no, yeah. of Blood? It's great. I love it. I This is, I think, one of my, I wouldn't say one of my favorite movies, but it's it's pretty great. I love this movie. It's up there for me. I always kind of forget like how much I like it and how good it is, and I sit down to watch it again and then and immediately drawn back to Hope Washington mm. or what's left of it. With that, let's take a break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with more backtracking. Mikan Hana. And I'm Caliban. I'm a huge Sailor Moon fan. I've been a Moonie since the beginning. I've seen every episode, every movie. I've read all the manga. I love it. I've got a head full of bad wiring and I've never seen a single episode. Do you want to join the wonderful world of Sailor Moon? Okay. Enter laughing. It's hard to believe that that was us. It feels like ancient history. We recorded that a few minutes ago. Ancient history, but but now that I'm a Sailor Moon expert. You're not an expert? But I'm trying. Every week on Sailor Noob, we talk about a new episode of the original Sailor Moon series. It's all new to me. And I'm a little more seasoned. I've been a Japanese language student and I've lived in Japan. And you use your experiences to talk about the food, fashion, and culture of every episode of Sailor Moon. What do you do again? Uh, share in the wonder of a classic anime series. Good enough. Sailor Noob is a great companion for first-time watchers, and it is a fun hit of nostalgia for the experienced fan. You can catch the show every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr, posting all things Sailor Moon. One day I shall be the master. Let's just get through this series first. Okay. Okay, we're back, and it's time to talk about the Trek side of this equation. You know, one of the fun things about Star Trek, and indeed doing a show like Backtracking, is that Star Trek can be so very many things. It can be a tense submarine thriller, 
like Balance of Terror. It could be a gentle rumination on a life well lived, as in the episode The Inner Light, or it can veer even into cosmic body horror in the case of Threshold. It could even be Rambo, apparently, when the Enterprise meets a man bred by his world for violence and thrown away once his usefulness is exhausted. Whether the blood is red or green, they drew it first, and now the Enterprise has to deal with the hunted. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, the crew of the Enterprise must stop a violent fugitive. Security personnel full alert. He's a man-made killer, risking death for freedom. He committed no crime. He's been programmed to be the perfect soldier. Now, the only escape is to destroy everything in his path on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, um, did they, I mean, when we picked this, I'm trying to remember, like, was there any quote of, like, oh, we were trying to do Rambo? Because I was, like, reading about it, and they it just said, like, oh, we're trying to, like, basically, like, the type of story they're trying to tell is, like, the exact type of thing that Rambo touches on. They were trying to talk about veterans coming home. So this I was wondering is... if they were inspired or if it was just kind of, like, that's an obvious topic to try and cover. What if it's both? Okay, yeah. You know, you and I have detective, Star Trek detective powers now, having done this show for so long and nobody says it explicitly but i think that it is um <laughs> Maybe it is explicit <laughs> do you know what i mean it's too soon the, like the, too close yeah i guess the one reference that i found was that the director um i think it was cliff ball was talking about how they at the end of the episode they wanted to the episode ends in kind of an anticlimax but they wanted to have like a big shootout and a huge throwdown and they just couldn't afford it and they didn't have the time and they wouldn't have done that if they weren't just following the Rambo track, right? That's exactly what happens at the end of Rambo is there's this huge mm-hmm. conflagration and this giant fight. And so that, and, and Cliff Bull mentions specifically Rambo. He says, you know, we want to do a Rambo-like thing. So oh, for yeah. me, and also the fact that they deal with the exact same thing and they both deal with a guy who's like, you don't beam him up, he beams you up, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I mean. I was like, because as I was watching, I watched it before re-watching First Blood. And I was like, oh, yeah, this this is like Rambo. And then more things happen. I'm like, this is almost exactly like Rambo. Yeah, yeah I think I think we're safe <laughs> in, in calling this one a Rambo. Oh, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I really, this was a fun episode, though, for sure. It, it is fun, but it's it's definitely one of those episodes that you look at and you just go, all right, man, we get it. We get it. He's great he's cool he's the best it's almost like it it borders on like mary sue self-insertion uh territory you know like the person who wrote it it was um it was a woman and she ended up being um like a script editor on voyager uh, robin bernheim and it's like I don't know if she really liked Rambo or thought of herself. It just seems like when a character is this good in a script, it's like usually the author trying to like get their sort of jollies. Do you know what I mean? Uh That's kind of the concept of the, of the Mary Sue, which was um, originally posited as a joke. Um, Paula Smith, the fanfic writer was making fun of other people who write their scripts like, Captain Randy, you know, Oh, Captain Randy said, Captain Kirk, you're way better than me here. Have some girls. You know, (laughs) And this guy is just like he he's just so good. And then he's also like, you know, he's he's got these killing skills, he's got these like technological skills. He can f- beat Worf. Uh and then also and, like and he's... Data was like the only person who could really get him. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, even Data's like, hmm, I think he's pretty great. And, like, he can talk philosophy with Troy. Like, he can just do it all. And it was uh-huh. just like, it's a little much. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, it was silly. I'm not trying to say it's not silly, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's like, because they, like, like, unlike Rambo, like, they literally, like, altered him, right? Yeah, like they, they talk... made him a super soldier, essentially. Yeah, they conditioned him, and, and um, they, they don't say it explicitly, but it's implied that he was genetically engineered, you know, to have these abilities. This actually, um, it reminds me, it kind of takes it a step further uh, than Rambo does with, like, how people reacted to, like, the troops coming home in the, like, more kind of, like... M- like myth that's made up about that of like, or like whatever of people spitting what how true that is or not. Where the, the when they go to meet like the government guys, they're like, well, I mean, this is what the people wanted. <laughs> like, yeah, and I don't, you know, it's how true that is. I don't know, but they're like, yeah, like we're doing it because like I don't know, they like voted on it or something. Like, get get these guys out of here. So this may really makes it seem like, um, yeah, like like everyone just hated these guys and they wanted to ship them off somewhere else, which is like twice as crazy as like the reality they're trying to portray. Yeah. I I think at the same time though, I think that it takes on a bigger um, thematic resonance because it isn't like, you know, there are cops in Rambo, you know, they're, they have to get rough sometimes. Uh, there are soldiers, there's National Guard guys who are regular people, but they carry guns. And then, you know, we made a Rambo because we needed a Rambo to to win this war. And in this, in Star Trek, you get the impression that the the people from um, uh, Arugula 3 or whatever their planet is, is like <laughs> they are not normally violent people. Like they're, they're comp- their whole culture is very non-confrontational. And so they had to make a man uh, like oh, Rogadanar who could fight for them. But once they won that battle against their opponents, then they're like, well, what do we do with Rogadanar? Like, we don't need people like that anymore. And so I think it speaks more to the idea of um, a service class, you know, of people who are. You know, like, uh, hey, uh, have your kid work at McDonald's this summer. He can get $15 an hour. You know, like needing like an underclass to do something for you that you don't want to do is distasteful for you uh, and being inconvenienced by the fact that they just won't go away. Right. I guess. And that actually kind of sticks even more so as time goes on. And it's like, you know, we're so kind of at home uh, adverse to like seeing any sort of that conflict. But then it's like. Even to this day, you know, like it's like we're sending people to do like, you know, varying levels of atrocities or whatever. Yeah. Uh, And then when it's like and then being like, okay, I mean, that's I guess that's the whole point. But um, yeah, I I think it it sticks out even more now uh, because it's like it's I don't know. I feel like the veil is being lifted more and more. Uh, but there's still sort of this like performative of like, yeah, but everything's nice here, right? <laughs> Type of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't have to see the penal colony on Luna 5. Uh, you know, I hear it's fine. Um, James Cromwell is in this, and Heck it's yeah. his, his first Trek role. And I'm glad that he came back for more. Um, I don't think he leaves a, a giant impression with this role, but uh, he definitely comes no. back and does other stuff. Yeah. And I guess. If I'm going back to what I was saying about, like, it, I guess it would be nice to have seen more than just, like, 
the super soldiers and then the politicians, you know. In their little onesie suits. Yeah, yeah they look kind of cool, but I guess it... Like, that's one where it's, like, that would actually be nice to, like, go down on the planet and, like, meet some people and, like, kind of, like, in First Blood where you have more than just... Well, in this, you have Federation <laughs> and then the two sides. But it'd be kind of nice to see, like, I don't know, regular people on that planet and what they think. I guess. I was just thinking about, like, you know, the, the, the Rugged Danar is the Chuck Norris of this pair of episodes. We've got the Sylvester Stallone. He's the Chuck Norris. You know, because Chuck Norris can, you know, he, you know, Chuck. What are all the Chuck Norris jokes? Are you old enough for Chuck Norris jokes? Uh, oh, it's been a while. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's been a while for that. He, yeah, he doesn't do push ups. He, I the, don't know. The earth moves under him or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like Rogadanar, you know, he can, you know, he can. You can only stun him with kill or whatever. Rogadanar <laughs> can can do catch yourself white socially. I loved that know. one. Yeah, that was great. Um. This would be nice to see, like, because, yeah, the, the military conflict in the end is it's like super soldiers versus the government. But it would be like, I don't know, like the, the government says they're acting on behalf of the people. But I guess I don't know. I'd just be <laughs> curious to see, like, civilians mixed into this, you know, like that who is would true. they support? I don't know. I guess we should talk about that because this is like kind of a first or this is kind of a prime directive episode. Um. It doesn't. It, it's not thought of that as being one because it's it's Rambo. But you know, as it starts off, you know, this this Arugula Three wants to join the Federation, and so Picard is here to like kind of start that process. And just like in Symbiosis, they do something that they probably shouldn't, which is help out. And they go, uh, "This guy's getting away. Can you take care of this?" Well, his answer should have been, "No, we can't help you because that's violating our Prime Directive." But they do. They try to capture. Rogadanar, and they get involved in this thing. And then by the end of it, they've basically like, it's not really their fault, but they, they, they leave these guys at the end of a gun barrel. <laughs> right. Held by Rogadanar and all the prisoners. And they're like, well, we can't do anything. You are be that's, that's going to be an abattoir the second you beam out. Like you think that they're going to be able to solve everything and like picard is so arch and about it and he feels like he's really just oh what a clever solution that was i'll let them figure it out well how do you know that you didn't just leave all those people to die yeah i especially hated that in symbiosis um uh, well, I, oh i i i approve of the symbiosis uh, oh, one. oh okay well i guess it, all he's doing is just like cutting the junkie off from the drugs and crusher has assured us that it'll it'll suck but they'll recover and then hopefully once they're recovered, mm. they'll be a little more clear-headed about the deal that they made. But, like, they have, like, brutalized and and criminalized and locked these guys up. And now they all have guns and all, they're do, all, they're, all they do is, is kill. They've been trained to kill. Mm. Rugged Danar has already chalked up a body count just, you know, uh, in the episode. And so James Cromwell is going to be on a spit like, as soon as the Enterprise leaves orbit, right. right? It's got this thing of, like, so – what where the episode ends is probably how it was going to go anyway cuz i don't think they would have caught him if the enterprise wasn't there anyway so he probably yeah. would have been able to execute his plan but like it or not like they have interfered and and the people of that planet are going that's going to reflect on them either way hmm. but i feel like this happens sometimes in tng uh where i think that happens kind of in symbiosis where they get to act like that they didn't have an effect. Yeah. When they will. Yeah. 
I at least like I at least like in the Deep Space Nine route where they kind of acknowledge it. You know what I mean? Like they're like, "Well, we're kind of being shitty here, but <laughs> it's the right thing to do, and we're going against the rules." I I kind of hate the like smugness sometimes in TNG where they're like, "Yeah, like you said, where Picard's like came up with a pretty good solution here. We're not going to yeah. do nothing." <laughs> I it's know. Like, no, you have been doing things. Like it's too late. You think these fuckers are ever going to want to join the Federation after this? If you want to do nothing, don't you can't you just can't talk to them. I don't know. Like yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah, and plus, like I guess I don't know how far along the path you guys were to getting them into the Federation, but you didn't know that they had like a plan, a moon prison full of like uh, uh, the <laughs> right. underclass of of uh, trained killers. Yeah, I just I just hate how I feel like they they eventually go on and they, they like reflect on this a little bit more, but they're they're so smug in the in the beginning of this and they always pat themselves on the back about it. You know, like, ugh. I didn't like that Worf had the job for this guy, but I did think that they gave Worf like an extra sort of twist. So at least he looks he, like he's doing pretty good. More than they do. Cause sometimes he is just like, they beat up Worf to show how strong someone is. And, and then you got kind of get the sense that well, like Worf is, is not that strong. Cause he's always getting beaten up. But in yeah. this, I feel like I was expecting it. And I actually feel like, he put up a solid fight against yeah. like a superhuman. I like when, because <laughs> Worf, like, so he's just hiding under a, a crate, and you're like, well, how did they have tricorders? How do they not know? Worf knew. Worf knew he was there because he's like, okay, we're gonna go. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, that Dana was comes great. out, and Worf's yeah, just standing there. It's like, I got you. I yep. was like, yeah, Worf. Let's go, bud. <laughs> Uh, other than that, like some of his like moves are, are pretty cool, I guess. Um, apparently, like the whole sort of diehard thing where they're trying to catch him was in the script. Just he gets away, like he gets a shuttlecraft, like everybody always does. Um, but the uh, once they got it, you know, started working on the script, they're like, no, no, we should expand this, and it becomes basically the third act is just them trying to chase him down inside the Enterprise. That, then there has to be a Rambo influence. Yeah, there has to be. Because what's what's fun about that is the minutiae of the escape, you know? Yeah. Like all the little details, not not really what it, the whole plot arc, but it's more of like, oh, he did this, and then he did this, and then he climbed in here, and then this blew up, you know? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the movie. That's the episode. Yeah. O'Brien takes a hit <laughs> right, in his, <laughs> yeah. right in his rowing arm. oh my shoulder yeah um what's it's a little different though because there isn't really like a colonel troutman in this i don't think farmer hoggett is is colonel troutman and also rambo is like part of rambo's problem is that he can't elucidate like what his problem is he can't talk about his problem he doesn't he doesn't that's the training he doesn't have and those scenes where they go, they've got Rogue Dana in the in the brig or whatever, and then Troy comes to him, and then Data comes to him, and he's like, "Oh well, yes, I've read several books today." Um, <laughs> it's just so I don't need that. You know what I mean? Like they added this thing where he's very erudite, and it's almost like he, a switch flips, you know, and then he becomes, um, the, you know, the killer oh, guy. I see. So um, he's like too good at every. He's more like. Um... Born identity. You know? <laughs> yeah, okay. I, sure. I always heard uh, my friend um, had this story that he always told me about the born identity that he overheard at like giving blood, and it was on TV. And two guys were like, What is this movie about? And another guy said, 
This dude wakes up and he finds out he's the shit. And that's all he said. <laughs> but like that's that's this to me is like he he's just like he's good at everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it is, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Only like Matt Damon is usually just like, I can't remember who I am. He's not like smug and like, you know, that's true. Real that's true. But if greasy. he had if he had to like pick someone up in the movie, he probably could. Yeah. And then you have to have like Troy be like, oh, there's a duality, you know. I can't believe that this is the violent man that did all those crimes. Okay, tell to the judge. Come on. Yeah. It, I think it's more interesting when they're they're doing that thing. TNG does this a lot because this is still kind of early and they still don't get... I know I love to talk about how I like it when the characters act like they're weird and alien, but this is too much. Like, this is mm-hmm. this is an uncool person's idea of a cool person. Do you know they, what I mean? I, I think they were t- that's just tried to, like... It's like fast-tracking, like, the humanizing that we get in, yeah, yeah. Through like just like Stallone's performance, I think it's in more random. interesting when he is he is difficult to relate to, you know. Yeah. Um, when he's a dirty hippie, you know, with that jacket on. Um, but like Rogadanar is like conventionally attractive, and he's tall, and he's he says nice things, and he's flirting with Troy, and then he's like, "Oh, I gotta kill people." Um, I just think that it's more interesting for the plot if he is somebody who we would immediately. Passover, we we wouldn't look at this person. But if you saw right. Rogadanar, if we, you didn't tell, if if the show didn't tell us he's like a killer or whatever, you'd think like, oh, this is okay. This is a yeah, a good guy. Rambo's like beaten down. Yeah, but sure. it, again, in the beginning of First Blood, he goes to like talk to actual people, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. his his friend who's died, his family of his friend who died. Yeah. So that's that's what I mean. It's like we, there's no actual like people in this episode. It's either yeah, that's true. Politicians that's true. or like super soldiers, you know. And it's like let's yeah. yeah, maybe there should have been a scene where he's like trying to get in contact with his friend or something, you know. Yeah, but then we lose all the cool things he can do, like break out of a transporter beam. <laughs> what? That's why I liked um, when you said he does Ketracel White. Uh, um, what is it casually or whatever uh socially <laughs> because like that i was like that's a like gem hadar power right there oh is it yeah well, i guess they not exactly but like when they introduce them in deep space nine they like have a containing field around them and they he just steps through it and it right, gives you right, the sense right. of like oh my god <laughs> you know can anyone do that <laughs> but that makes sense for your kind of like merciless killing force you know i like, guess they don't try to present the gem hadar as like Hey, these are some cool dudes. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you don't gem Hadar. Hadar gems you. <laughs> All right. Um, it when the thing the scene where he's in the brig and they're talking to him was like kind of like a Silence of the Lambs kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, you've got the earnest, like, in this case, woman on the outside talking to the guy who's like, "Oh, you want all the answers." And it's funny because this actually predates Silence of the Lambs by about a year. Clear inspiration, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We should be doing the uh, Sounds of the Lambs inspiration podcast. Lamb tricking. <laughs> we'll start watching. Yeah, I like that. Reverse engineer it. <laughs> and Picard is himself, act as we said, acting kind of out of character. But um, you can you can act, you can do and say things that are meant to be in character and have them still be out of character. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like he's yeah. he's talking to the guy and and Farmer Hoggett says you know oh this is this is a matter of internal security, and then Picard hangs up and he's like ah yes the age old cry of the oppressor, 
Who are you talking to, Picard? <laughs> okay. You are talking to no one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, um, I mean, by by the third season, stuff's a little bit more worked out. But, like, uh, I don't know. I, I keep going back to and thinking about symbiosis. Like, there's a whole scene in symbiosis where he's, like, lecturing Beverly in the turbo lift about the prime directive or something. Yeah. And to me, it's like, I feel like I believe he does believe that. But I, I feel like uh, in the episode, it's, like, presenting it as, like, this is the truth and not like what this specific character believes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's, that's the thing where I feel like they do a better job later of like establishing Picard as not like not, he gives these epic speeches or whatever and makes points all the time that are the point of the episode. But like, he's not the soul. I feel like he's not like the arbiter of what's right and wrong later on as much. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of early TNG is like him going and being like, let me tell you how it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See you later. Part, part of the point is that they, they need to struggle with these. There is no easy solution to these things. But if he's just like, oh, now I finally, you know, now we're at the point in the story where I need to just ball everybody out about, you know, they're doing the wrong thing and they should be doing the right thing or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's a that's a good uh, observation. I hadn't thought of that. Because, yeah, much later on, he's more like, is this the right thing to do? Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure that's present even early on, too. I don't know why. That I maybe needed to rewatch some of that, too. But that's just like you... the last time I went through it, I was like kind of annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, because this whole time, like, I guess they don't know the exact details of, you know, Rogadanar's background. But everybody's suspicious of these guys. Like... They're very officious. They certainly don't want us to look at that moon over there. Don't do that. And yeah, the whole time it seems like something is kind of off. And it isn't until he gets into that position at the end that he's able to go, well, I guess we'll be leaving and taking our business elsewhere. And (laughs) sort of give him a little tweak. It'd be like, can we take a look at some of your like, I don't know, documents (laughs) or something? Sure. Can we do like a Freedom of Information Act and like figure out what type of like weird CIA at MK Ultra stuff you've been doing or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you apply for the Federation, it should be like, you know, yeah, getting a loan or something like that. So yeah. we need your or do credit we just... history and <laughs> I assume that happens, but I get the vibe here that it's just like they just talk to James Cromwell and they're like, All right, sounds good. Seems on the up and up. Yeah. <laughs> sounds more like they're trying to start a band with him or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's, and even, let's jam. Yeah. <laughs> and even at the end, like, Cromwell doesn't really get it because he's even saying, like, no, we, look, we had to do this, you know, and, and like you said before, like, the people voted for the settlements and we may need them again. And at that point, yeah. I think it's just like, okay, all right, we're, we're going to go. I hope your little pet soldiers don't kill you. Right. I love how sinister that is, though. I that's, like That's why I like... I mean, there's only so much, I guess, you can do when you're also trying... Like, the Rambo, the simplicity of Rambo is because it's like, takes place in our world, and we kind of know... Yeah. We know what happened, whereas, like, you know, it's like, are we assuming in their world, like, they had a Vietnam, and, you know... Seems like it, yeah. There, is there a Kennedy assassination in their world? I don't know. Yeah, but Picard is just like, yeah, this is a classic. This is your problem, so we're we're gonna take off. <laughs> yeah, that should be a thing. Like, well, we'll 
you know, like this should be a thing that it's like, okay, well now we have to like contact, like this should be a two parter. And the second part is like, all right, we talked to Starfleet and they said we should do, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) not just, we're going to leave. (laughs) Yeah. That should be an option in more Star Trek adventures just to swipe left on the whole thing and be like, nope, (laughs) nope, just moving on. Actually, it's kind of gotten weird. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to, we're going to bail. <laughs> it's not like they're too far out of like contact, right? <laughs> um, I wonder if uh, so. I like stories like this. Um, I think um, not a companion piece necessarily, but a story that deals with a similar theme is the very excellent episode, "The Wounded," mm. which I watched the other day for some reason. I can't remember why. That's, why would uh, I've watched that Cardassian one, right? Yeah, with O'Brien, and he talks mm. about. You know, I, I, I don't I'm not just racist. Like, I hate Cardassians for a reason because they kind of ruined my life. Um, and I just wanted to be fix things in Starfleet. And instead, I had to, like, be a soldier and, and like, kill these guys. And um, I think that there aren't I don't want to do it every day, but there aren't enough stories like that in Trek. Um, About dealing with the violence or the war yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, because it's like escapist fiction. It's fun to shoot a ray gun. Guy falls down and he's stunned. It's okay. But like they, this is a military. Um, They do have things like lose 38 ships in the Battle of Wolf 359 or whatever. Mm. Um, You you know, people, you've got Cardassian Wars and Romulan Wars. And so, you know, I think it's, I think it's good when Trek does this. And since it doesn't seem like we're going to stop being at war anytime soon. Um, if you want to address the problems of the real world, I think you know it's important to to address this this problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like I, now is a great time for that those type of stories. And I mean, I guess they've they've been attempting to do some of those too. But um, I don't know. I haven't really connected with the <laughs> past couple seasons that they at season one. I feel like of Discovery really was trying to do that. Yeah. But... And then season three is just like, oh, okay. So the Federation is a bunch of jerks now, and then their opponent is a what is it? It's like a um, well, it's a Federation it's a crime basically syndicate. Yeah, Isn't but it? it's a yeah. it's a feder it's a federation of disenfranchised worlds. You know, it's a it's a confederacy basically. And we get to the table, and we're actually having peace talks, and we're actually trying to decide. Like how to get resources to everybody, and then, we'll just let's kill everybody instead. Yeah, I wonder what that because I've been watching Deep Space Nine lately, and it's like I feel like it's a war show uh, in a lot of ways, and it it does do those kind of episodes like the wounded a lot, but then it does also have these big epic battles, and I feel like it does. For me, it, it has its cake and eat it too because those scenes happen. And I'm like, they're lighting, they're lighting guys up, and ships are blown up, and I'm like, hell yeah, that's yeah. sick. But then, like, I do like all the things they're actually trying to like talk about in, in at least the heart of it also come across. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Yeah, that but that connects. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with like bang shooty stuff. Like, you know, as long as you're it's rooted in some, some real storytelling. You know, I think one of the first huge battle scenes of DS nine was, um, the improbable cause and the die is cast when mm-hmm. an Auburn Tain, you know, and the Tal Shiar decide that they're going to try to take on the, uh, that's, the... that's the one I watched recently. And yeah, oh, there's okay. like, 
yeah, they're just getting so lit up by yeah. <laughs> Jim and Arn. It's like, damn, that's so sick. Oh, man, we fucked up really bad. Yeah. yeah. But, but the whole thing is about, you know, it's about Garrick, uh, you know, basically reconciling with Tane. Also, Garrick realizing, like, who the good guys are going to be in this upcoming war. And Odo really realizing, you know, who who he can trust and who he can't. <laughs> right. And that that plays back into First Blood again, where it's like it's like all it's like all this action that's so impressive and cool, but like you don't want it to happen. Yeah. But as it's happening, it's like this is kind of sick. <laughs> yeah. When yeah, when Rambo starts pumping rounds into the Woolworth, it's like oh no, oh it was cool though. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I always wanted to watch a might Woolworth be in blow there, up, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, there's Christmas decorations in the Woolworth. So is this a Christmas movie? <laughs> so this is the the second action Christmas movie canonically oh, we've covered. Oh, yeah, I've got a hidden. I've got a list somewhere of like movies that people didn't know are Christmas movies. There wasn't enough snow. Yeah, they um they filmed it. Yeah, it's it's clearly not winter. So I don't know. Maybe they're it's clearance Christmas stuff. But <laughs> they filmed it in the Northwest and expected it to be uh, chilly. But it turned out to be uh, there was a heat wave and it was um, unsurprisingly hot when they oh. had to film a lot of it. They did think he might be above the snow line. I remember that. That's right. What, so what maybe this Christmas it. movie, yeah. Which reminds me of that 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 fall that the guy does out of the helicopter is that's incredible, and I have no idea how they did it. That's a real guy. It's not a dummy. That, he just goes you tumbling. You off don't of see that him thing. land. Yeah. So maybe a net. I don't know. Yeah. That was maybe. sick. That was so cool. Yeah, well, uh, that's Rambo, though. We're talking about The Hunted. Yeah, so uh, The Hunted is a story about men who are who are altered by technology, and something that makes Trek Trek is the technology that is used in the future, which sometimes facilitates what the characters are doing, but often is the actual complication that they're dealing with. So on every show, we randomly pick from a list of Star Trek technologies and add what we get to the non-Trek media and subtract it from the Trek episode and see how each would be different. We call this our technological exchange. And here's our list of technological technologies. First, we've got phasers, then holodecks, Tricorders, transporters, warp drives, replicators, communicators, shields, advanced medical technology, and androids. And I'm going to roll on my random number selecting technology, and I got three tricorders. If tricorders existed oh. in the world of First Blood, how would it be well, different? Well, first thing is when they shoot the rocket launcher and blow that thing up, they would probably check and see if he is alive. Yeah, a lot of um, the film is them trying to find Rambo, and so if he can't hide uh, as well, um, yeah, that would probably change so, it a lot. In this world, if tricorders have existed for a while, that would obviously have been something he would ha- be familiar with, and he would also take that into account. He would be trained with uh, anti-tricorder uh, skills. He yeah. would like know how to like trick you using you know try like make him think he's over there you know sure they find him right away but the the assuming you know we get to the point where a guy like galt falls out of the helicopter and he gets his hand on his uh, equipment then now he's got a tricorder ho 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 <laughs> oh yeah so perhaps totally, he can yeah. create yeah false uh false positives of uh, signals yeah yeah i saw an episode recently where they did something like that so it's definitely uh yeah it's a it's a tactic in Trek war. I could see him doing it. 
Um, oh, speaking of Trek War, the the writer of this uh, of the TNG episode uh, worked previously on Quantum Leap. Oh, and on William Shatner's Tech War. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Which I've never actually checked out. No, me neither. Actually, maybe I should. I don't know. I've never really thought. Now to do is it. the time. It's never been a better time. I knew a guy that read some of the Tech War books in uh, in high school, and he he said they were good. It's something. I mean, I've seen plenty of videos and stuff. So I'm kind oh of, yeah, it's cheesy. I mean, for sure. Yeah, but it seems fun. Yeah, I, I feel like anything you include Rambo is prepared for. You know. Yeah, I guess he would be. Maybe it's just a question of like how he is going to beat this tricorder thing. Yeah, but also like you know, tricorder in this case, I think would mean um, just advanced sensing capability in general. Um, mm-hmm. uh, possibly, you know, if he's wounded, like they can tell. Oh, he's he's been hurt. Boy, there's sure, sure are a lot of rats in this cave I'm picking up. They seem hungry. Uh, yeah, maybe he blows up a tricorder store. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's what he does at the end. He he breaks out. No, he's in the tricorder store. Maybe I mean, maybe... Uh... I'm, I'm picking up 50 Rambos all around the town. <laughs> maybe the U.S. would have done better in Vietnam, and so maybe things would have gone better oh, for Rambo. I don't know. <laughs> You don't surround Rambo. Rambo surrounds you. Um, yeah, I guess it depends on how far. But yeah, what, when was the tricorder invented then, I guess? Because maybe we just killed all the Vietnamese in uh, Vietnam, no problem. It's a totally different film. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Rambo's wow. a hero. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. He, the, then Rambo he actually, is he, Troutman. He, yeah, right. He runs for president. He's... <laughs> He's like the next Eisenhower. President Rambo's the next <laughs> the next one for sure. Whoa, that's a that's a good idea. After Last Blood, then President Rambo. That is a great idea. Jesus Christ. I feel like we just got out of this with uh, people photoshopping, you know, Trump's head onto Rambo or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah, that actually that's uh that's very real. That yeah, so there would probably be a no, Stallone would never let it happen, but like that would be a very like crappy conservative movie like the one the, of the ilk i was kind of getting at now <laughs> it's like a, a trump-like figure but they're rambo i might like that, that'd be that. like a, a movie ben shapiro's f- film studio puts oh, out god yeah um i'm depressed was this supposed to depress us <laughs> sorry because i feel like it has Ram- rambo right. now he would be fighting sjw's you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's just rambo for, yeah movie starts rambo's canceled and then it just goes from there yeah he would be like a college student <laughs> <laughs> yeah somebody was offended uh by by rambo's bandana He'd be destroying safe space yeah okay. his appropriation of yeah so okay well that, that that was fun uh we should probably get out of that and move on to the episode if tricorders don't exist in the 24th century how is the hunted different well they can't track this guy anyway apparently yeah. <laughs> so so presumably he would never be engineered to not be trackable that would not be a factor that was actually i mean so what if maybe Jordy invents the tricorder Whoa. <laughs> just to get Rogatanar. So it does exist after the episode. And oh, Jordy, so, cool. so the effect is Jordy, uh, you know, he retires on all that tricorder money. They call it the LaForge device. Yes. The, yes. <laughs> Give me a LaForge scan of this area. It would, it would measure LaForge's 
<laughs> the forge units. <laughs> I actually kind of liked. Uh, I know. I know you don't like all all of the attributes that they gave to him, but I kind of liked that he was like didn't have a life sign. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Like that. I don't know if there's Is that like, a metaphor for something. Like right. His... Yeah. I guess that's what I'm thinking of. And like kind of the like cheesy half metaphor is that like you know is he's dead inside or yeah something, he's not you know? human yeah uh, that would have worked a lot more actually if he was like a beaten down kind of rambo like guy i know but like the the casting office of tng in like the late 80s just could not resist like tall guys with blue eyes this guy you know? could have played a kona right like, yeah imagine what if andy circus plays this guy is yeah. It the, do you respond the same? We just they, need a little freak to play this guy. Yeah. Yeah. On the Bechdel uh, cast, which is a podcast where they look at movies from the perspective of the Bechdel test, they talk about the Steve Buscemi test, which is like if a guy does something to a woman in a movie and it's like, no, no, it's cool. Like she's into it, you know, but it's like a weird thing. You have to imagine if, if Steve Buscemi did that, would it still be cool? And if it, the answer is oh, okay. no, then nobody should do that thing. If it's like, <laughs> that's pretty funny, actually. Like, who's who's like the weirdest looking guy you can think of? Yeah. So if Steve Buscemi's like, oh, Troy, seems like you and I could do something, something. It's like, okay, well, maybe we, this just shouldn't be in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a dark-haired woman broke my heart or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, great. Great dialogue. <laughs> so anyway, if you don't like the last couple seasons of Voyager, you can blame Robin, Robin Christopher. Um... Did we did we nail it? We There's no tricorders. It. Uh so yeah, so you can't find him. He's he's tough to find anyway. And uh he he's getting away, like for sure. The oh, you know, the the way that he disables the enterprise I thought was interesting and um it's not something we usually talk about, which is he disabled like the external sensors. So the enterprise can't look around, they can't do anything, and he gets away in like a slow ship, but he's basically like, if you blind the Enterprise, you've essentially stopped it from doing anything because you can't fly at warp without seeing where you're going. Right. Like that's, you can't do that at all. So all he has to do is take out the external sensors and he's basically crippled the Enterprise. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I did but the... he wouldn't be able to do that because uh, oh, yeah. complicated sensors don't exist. So they'd be able to look out of the window, which is how they fly ships in this universe. We're getting just... closer to my ship punching <laughs> we always yeah. do we always do <laughs> and he'd be able to follow the uh the arugula ship but he'd have like a ship uh fist like a, a bigger two fists i don't know he'd have a ship boot that he'd step on him with <laughs> he'd have a ship smoke screen i that made me think of i liked when they were like poking around the planet or whatever to like find him and they're like eh is he over here he did the thing where you're like you know like shifting around uh the thing you're hiding behind <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. Like, eh? No, he's not here. Eh? <laughs> right, I mean, oh, he's right. gone. <laughs> What's the asteroid made of lead? Like they can't look through the <laughs> asteroid with their sensors. And then, of course, after he does something, everybody has to go. This guy's good. <laughs> we get it. We get that he's good. <laughs> I think as a you don't rogue a Danar. Danar rogue as you. I did. I enjoyed. I enjoyed this episode, but not for the same. Like I don't think it does a good job of like making its getting its message or whatever, like making me feel anything. But I, I liked it from a more, a fun aspect of like, I do like the Chuck Norris jokes or like, <laughs> it makes me think of, you know, the, like John wick in the beginning where they're always hyping him up and, 
Yeah, but even John, and I am no John Wick fan, but even John Wick is, he he spends half the movie doing completely impossible things, and the other half of the movie being very vulnerable, having, you know, the shit kicked out of him, he gets Ah. hit by a car and stuff like that. And I know it's funny because, like, he gets hit by a car and it just gets up, Ah. which is not usually what happens. But but even at the end of the episode, Rogadanar is completely unbowed, and he's even like, yeah, fucking kill me. Go for it. Just do something. Okay, you know, don't yeah. ignore me. And at the end of Rambo, Rambo is defeated by he's, himself. He he's defeated by his well, trauma. Movies, yeah. But yeah. If if there was a comparable scene in The Hunted, maybe I wouldn't hate Rogadanar so much. But You're it's right. Just like... Yeah. <laughs> maybe if he was more like Tosk, we'd, uh, we'd Tosk. love him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh. I, can't ta- I can't tell my shit to you. We can't. We can't go back. Can't go back to that. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, we had that. We ate that sweet juicy apple already. Well, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about what's coming up on the next episode of Backtracking. Well, I I'm especially excited actually about next episode because we are gonna be covering a new movie and we're gonna mm. be talking about F9, yeah. uh, the ninth movie in the Fast Saga, which I'm a big fan of. I know you've been watching through it. This this summer, family is thicker than blood. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I have I've, I've finished my watch through of the Fast and Furious films, and I have to say, it was not a waste of time. That's great. That's good to hear. That's a super low bar, but um, they are very enjoyable. They're very ridiculous. They're I silly. see what everybody likes. I'm I'm a little dismayed that they keep getting longer and longer, and this next one is like three three hours <laughs> I kinda long. I kind of love it. <laughs> I don't think they need to be that long, but I love it. It's so ridiculous. Uh, I I think, I think it's incredible. The longer they get, the less kind of believable they are, because you know if it's three hours long, then they're going to be surviving plane crashes. They're going to be. What was it like in the seventh one? He just drives his car off a cliff and just crashes that's, his car. That's a solution for like three issues in that movie. And it's like, but the whole thing is, is that you were trapped because you, you did not want to drive a car off a mountain, but that's yep. fine. Or out of a skyscraper or uh, off of a parking garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that it's three hours long, they're going to be surviving so many ridiculous things in this. Because like, I'm not saying like, it's not my favorite one, but like the third one is is believable. It's like this high school kid who's like 28. It's not from high school, but whatever. And he's the whole big thing is that like somebody he knows dies in a car crash and he gets in a lot of trouble with the law and they just got to win like this one race to get the, Mm -hmm. the the mob off their back. It's like, okay, that's kind of believable. And then later on there, you know, we got to take out this giant plane that's on a five mile long runway. I actually do. My, my two favorite ones are that one and the first one because they, I feel like there are more believable and like I I just like the characters and stuff like that. Yeah. But then my next one after that would be like the maybe five or seven because it it if anything I I really love the like it just feels like smashing your action figures together. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm okay with that too. And, and they still have they still maintain some of the you know some of the heart <laughs> uh, with the family and stuff like that. So there's still that connection that I that I have, but. Some of them, you know, some of them are better than others, obviously. Yeah, I liked six. Um, yeah. I liked... Five, five, six, seven, I think, are all solid. I like Luke Evans' car that, like, is like a ramp, so he can just, like, <laughs> ramp flip, oh, flip other sick. cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so anyway, hey, we, we don't want to give it away now. We'll, we'll do all this uh, on our next show. <laughs> we didn't even say we're doing that 
because there, there's a secret secret brother in this new movie, and That's we're right. doing a secret brother Star Trek movie, which is Star Trek Five. That's right. So I will at least see if that <laughs> has any connection to the other. Um, yeah, Star Trek Five is kind of like a Fast and the Furious. Uh, of the classic Star Trek movies and that I feel like it's kind of the silliest. So. It literally has a scene where Sulu has to race a shuttlecraft like like a car and he's got to beat, you know, like a closing door. Like something you could totally yeah. see uh, one of the fast crew doing. It's no Star Trek Beyond, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like Star Trek Nemesis has the car scene, but this is kind of like a car <laughs> right. scene. Star Trek occasionally flirts with uh, the Fast and the Furious genre. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's what we'll be talking about uh, on the next show. But so now, Gooey, tell the people where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at Gooey Fame. And I'm on Twitter at, at K-A-1-I-B-A-N. Also, you can find all the shows on the Just Enough Trope Network on Twitter at, at Just Enough Trope. And our most recent episode of my show, Enterprising Individuals, Star Trek podcast, uh, is an episode from this show, which you've probably heard if you listen to this show. But I'd encourage you to go check out other shows about Star Trek or other episodes about Star Trek on Enterprising Individuals. And that's it for us for this week. We'll see you soon. And until then, keep on trekking. Trekking.